you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Excuse me, 1 John chapter 5. It will probably say on the screen chapter 4 because I made a typo there. But it's 1 John chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 1 while you're turning there. Um, a joy to share together yesterday in Blake and Mallory's wedding. And um, so we've had four weddings lined up. We've got two of them, the knot is tied, and two of them scheduled, okay? So um, a, a great time of rejoicing and celebration. And um, we're thankful for each one that, that had a part in that. 1 John chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we indeed are blessed to be able to have access to your word, to read it, to study it. We understand there are many believers around the world that don't have the access that we have. And we also understand to whom much is given, much will be required. And Lord, as we look to your word today, we ask for the leading and ministry of your spirit. We ask that you would help us to Not only be attentive to your spirit, but to be obedient to the promptings of your spirit. And not just during this time, but Lord, that the truth could really be worked out of our lives. That it would be seen in our places of work, in our homes, in our contact with others. And Lord, that as a result, you would be glorified and that you would be able to... um, propagate your word in the lives of others as well through our lives. So, Lord, we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder that this letter that we're looking at, 1 John, was written just a mere 60 years after Christ's crucifixion and ascension. Um <clears throat> As we know, those of you that have lived any length of time, a lot can happen in 60 years. And indeed, a lot did happen here. And the disciples, Christianity was growing at a rapid pace, and and yet it was a very dark hour for the followers of Jesus Christ. And the word that the Apostle uses throughout this book, and in particular this passage that we looked at, is the word victory. 
the word overcomers. And really, that would probably have been a word that we would not have identified with in saying, wow, these people are overcomers because it looked like evil was prospering. Although the church was growing, um, many were being persecuted and martyred in these days. And so this is, the, this is the picture of who John is writing to. And the world and its philosophy appeared as a, a major obstacle. So when he writes, For whatever is born of God, in verse 4, overcomes the world. He's saying, we have victory. We are, are guaranteed a victory. And then he goes on and says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So John was reminded in Jesus' last days of his ministry, he said to the disciples, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So maybe this is... Um, in John's mind, he remembers, Jesus told us this. We now see the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The power of God is at work in our lives. And he said, whoever is born of God overcomes the world, has victory. And this is the victory, even our faith. Well... You know, we, we all like victories. But victory means that there has been a battle. It's always interesting to me, um, at the beginning of a season, every team has high hopes. Um, in February and March, um, even the Chicago Cubs fans think that this may be their year. But usually by May 17th, they already know that, well, it's not looking so good. But every team at the beginning of the year thinks, hey, this, this could be our year. And they can say, we are undefeated. <clears throat> But what does undefeated mean if you've never had a battle? I am undefeated in my boxing career, but I've never had a boxing match. So what? There's no merit in that. So when John is saying, whoever is born of God is victorious, he's taking it for granted you have been in the battle, and the battle has been fought, and you are victorious. It means that there's a battle. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, Hebrews 11, you're familiar. It's the great faith chapter. But I want us to just kind of... We're going to skip a rock through Hebrews 11 just briefly here. And I want us to understand, think about this. Think about the battle that they were in. 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, it says, Noah, being warned of God. Think of the battle. We read that. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Prepared an ark. 120 years in preparing an ark. Think about the battle. Just think about the battle that went up in his mind. <clears throat> okay, God told me this. Now I'm going to go tell my wife and my sons this is what we need to do. I mean, think about that battle. And then the battle of, of just the weariness and the mocking that goes on. But we read by faith Noah, and we know the story of Noah and the joy that he had, but think of the battle. We read the next verse, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Think of that battle. God has called me. He hasn't told me where I am to go exactly, but I am willing to obey. And we read Abraham and his seed is blessed to this day, but the battle that was there that had to take place in his mind. <clears throat> and yet, he obeyed and he came away victorious. By faith, Abraham, verse 17, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. God came to him and said, I want you to go and offer your son. He stood on the promises of God that we sang earlier today. And he knew that God was going to provide the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, to his seed. He didn't understand how it was going to take place, but he obeyed. Think of the battle, and we can't even do it justice in, in just these moments of thinking the battle as he's taking his son Isaac up, and he knows that he's offering him, and then his son says, Dad, we have everything for the offering except the sacrifice. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. That was a battle that he fought by faith. It goes on. It mentions Jacob. It mentions Joseph. It mentions Moses. And we read about Moses that as he was raised up in Pharaoh's household, he chose the reproaches of Christ greater treasures than all the treasures of Egypt. So you think of the battle. Here Moses, he's raised up as royalty. He could have all of this, but he understands the call of God in his life and he chooses to follow God and turns his back on the royalty, on ha having everything set for the rest of his life. That was a battle that he had to fight. We go on and it, it mentions... Um, the Israelites, and by faith, the battle of Jericho. And we see that 
those, we read the story, we know how it turned out. It turned out victorious for them. But you go on and you read, and it says in verse 35, well, we'll back up to verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, he lists some, worked righteousness, abstained obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in the battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All of those are the victorious ones. But then it's like things turn. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth, And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God provided something better for us that they might not be made perfect apart from us. He says, these all walked by faith. They didn't see the victory in this life, but they will see it throughout eternity. But all of those had a battle. Too many of us want the joy of victory without the contest. Too many of us want the the blessings of victory without the battle. We want the freedom without the battle. But John is writing to these back in 1 John again. And he says, whoever is born of God overcomes, that means there's a battle, overcomes the world. The battle is with the world. It's with the world system, the world's mentality, all that is opposed to God and His ways and and draws us from God, involving our own corrupt nature, our philosophies of the world, the mentality that is living just for this life and this life alone. And this is where the battle takes place for anyone that is a follower of Jesus Christ. The battle to overcome the natural tendencies that want us to live just for this life. To major on the minors, this life, the temporal things, and to neglect the major things, the eternal things, the things of God. Turn back to 1 John chapter 2. We looked many months ago, but we want to be reminded, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John, as we said throughout this book, he deals with the theme and he has three major themes and he comes back and renews those. But notice verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, <clears throat> but he who does the will of God abides forever. Notice what he said. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it all passes away. And he says, but whoever is born of God overcomes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and all the philosophies and all the entanglements of just this life that will pass away. And whoever is born of God rises above that and walks in victory in living for that which is eternal. He overcomes the desire for the affections that we have of just the temporal, living only for the temporal, overcoming the world. Some would say that Alexander the Great conquered the world. But he himself was a slave to his own passions. He fought the world and defeated it, mastered it, he was seen as the conqueror of the then-known world. And yet, this royal young ruler was found weeping and stretching out his hands in idiotic cries for another world that he might ravage, another world that he might conquer. He seemed to have overcome everything that came to his way, but he had never conquered that that was innermost in his soul. He had wrapped his dreams and admirations around the chains of covetousness, and they held him to the point that he was dissatisfied when he had the whole world. And like a poor slave who is dragged to his death, he could not win the battle that mattered the most. The battle for that which is eternal. In order for us to win the battle with the world, John tells us in verse 4, faith is required. Faith is required for victory. And be careful that we don't just limit faith to, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of my sin, but that is the beginning of our faith. And faith is required for victory to give us spiritual life. See, we are born into this world, and we are born spiritually dead, and we are apart and immersed in the world from our own heart, from everything around us, and we are immersed and, and engulfed and encompassed with the world's mentality. And the only thing that can deliver us from that is to be born spiritually, to be given a new nature, a new heart. And that's where, by faith, we come to understand that I am a sinner and I am in rebellion against God and yet in my rebellion, 
God still loved me and sent His only Son to pay the penalty for my sin and offer forgiveness so that I can be given spiritual life. So that I can be lifted from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and someday from the presence of sin. And now I have the power to be able to overcome the draw of the world. Every believer has the spiritual power dwelling within them to overcome the world. But we ask, well then, why is it that I struggle so much with overcoming these allurements to sin and overcoming my selfishness and so on? Again, we begin by faith, but we walk by faith. And it is faith that is required to give us spiritual life. So the first thing we have to understand is faith is required. John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And it is faith that gives us spiritual life. There is no power to live anything apart from the world or an earthly life without the power of God. So it is faith that gives us spiritual life. It is also faith that is required to have victory so that we are able to make sense of this world. Faith must be based on that which consistently and accurately answers these four basic questions of life. I don't know if um, Ravi Zacharias is the one that put these together or if somebody else, but every human being has to have a faith that answers these four questions. The question of origin. Where did I come from? Now, this is important that you have the one faith that is able to answer all four of these questions consistently and unified in one package and that they all fit together. The first question is, where did I come from? The second question is the question of purpose. Why am I here? And it is only faith, and we don't have time to go into all this, But it is only faith that can legitimately answer these, a faith in Jesus Christ. The third question is the question of morality. How do I determine right and wrong? See, this is where the major questions, um, the major philosophies of the world really fall apart. Our, Our world today, our nation today is waiting on the Supreme Court to determine for us how we determine what a marriage is. Because they have chosen to believe that we came from evolution. Our purpose for life here is basically to please ourselves, And so each culture 
Each society has to decide what is right. I mean, in all of history, it has never been determined right that a marriage consists of anything other than a man and a woman. So faith has to deal with how do I determine what is right and wrong? Is it I put my finger to the wind and, yeah, I think that's right today. Or let's take a vote and see what everyone says. Right and wrong is not determined by a vote. It doesn't matter if all the people vote right. If you determine right and wrong by a vote, there may come a day when more people vote wrong than right. But getting back to faith. Where did I come from? Why am I here? How do I determine right and wrong? And where am I going? Now, truth is that which relates to reality. And faith must be able to answer all four of these questions and to logically answer these so that they fit together And only Jesus Christ is the only answer to this. Jesus Christ is the Creator. I am made by His design for His glory, for His purpose. It is beyond me. And He has told me what is right and wrong. The standard is God. The standard is the nature of God. And He has told me what His nature is. And because of His nature, we, we deduct and we can understand what is right and what is wrong. And He alone prepares for me for an eternity. And to see this world in the right perspective that, hey, it is God that put me here. And it is God that had me born in 1955. You weren't born the year you were born because some eons ago you checked a little list. I want to be born in 1970. No. It's God that puts you here and He has a specific purpose for every person. And it's that faith. I see the big picture and I understand, wow, I am the handiwork of God. And God is in control, and God is at work in this life right now, and I am not subject to the whims of this world. I have someone that is ruling over me, and faith is required to give a spiritual life, to make sense of this world, and thirdly, to give us hope. Because... My faith answers those four questions and alone answers it. I have great hope because I believe God is in control. God tells me He is in control. That's why I believe it. I believe that God is coming again. I believe that God will make all things right. I believe that God will reward every good deed and every evil deed. And I believe that God is big enough to do whatever He said He's going to do, and He will do it. And you know what? 
The world comes at me and says, look at God's out of control. The world's out of control. And I say, no, God is in control. Well, why is evil prospering? It's a question that's been asked all throughout the ages. And the psalmist said, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Next time you're worried about the evil in the world, go mow your grass. Seriously, it ought to be a reminder. God's coming. He's going to cut down the grass. What happens? You cut it down. It disappears. It's gone, right? You say, but it keeps coming. Evil keeps coming, but the day's going to come. God is in control. He is the final judge. And as a believer in the midst of a world, a believer, we have great hope. I shared with the men in Sunday school. I'll just share briefly with you right here. Talk to Brother Hannah Shaheen of Endure International. He was just in Iraq and that area. Um, he shared about a pastor that was in a, a city of 60,000 in Iraq that was trying to start a, a Baptist church in this city. Had four or five people coming. It was a quote-unquote Christian city of 60,000, meaning it was Roman Catholic controlled, literally controlled. If people came to this evangelical Bible study, they were threatened with their life. Well, ISIS came in and they are taking over the area. So 60,000 people grabbed their suitcases and left and fled. This pastor, his wife, and two children did the same thing. They fled to a refugee camp. Brother Hannah Shaheen met him in the refugee camp, attended a Sunday service with him, and this pastor said, ISIS is the best thing that happened to our city because it broke the power of falsehood over the people. They were living in fear of Catholicism. And they are now receptive to the gospel. And Pastor Hannah Shaheen was in that service. He said they had the house they were meeting in was packed. They had 70 or more people in that. And you know what that did to my heart and my faith? God is in control. And God is at work in this world today. And you look at the world and the news and everything and you think, man, it's out of control. God is in control. And He is at work and He is still calling people to Him. Brother Hannah said, I have never seen more Muslims coming to Christ than I have seen in the last ten years. God is at work. God is in control. And... In the world, we are tempted to be filled with fear. But I have overcome the world. And I don't have a spirit of fear, God says. You don't need not have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. We have great hope because God is in control. God is coming again. God will make all things right. God will reward every deed. 
And God is big enough to do what He says. Faith has clear, observable results. John also reminds us in this passage, in verse 3 and 4, he reminds us that if we are of God, if we have faith, we will be obedient to the commands of God. If we have faith, we will have works. James chapter 2, read verses 14 through 25. He said, faith, if it has not works, is dead. Not that works save us, but genuine faith in Jesus Christ will produce works. And if it is not genuine faith, it will not produce works, and it is dead. So a a genuine faith that overcomes the world has observable results. It it has a desire to obey the commands of God. It, it, It has works that prove that it is of God. And thirdly, it walks in victory over the world because it recognizes the lies of the world. The devil says, God must not like you or this wouldn't have happened. By faith, it recognizes that's a lie and says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It says, I know God loves me because He gave the most important gift He could ever give, His Son, for my forgiveness. The world says, nothing good can come out of this. But when you walk by faith, you say, I know that God is able to make all things, even this, work together for good. Because I love God and I'm committed to His purposes. Faith is manifested in obedience, in the fruit of works, and in victory over the world. But faith is only as good as the object of our faith. It's not faith in faith itself. It's faith in God. The more you know God, the more you will trust Him. Tonight we're going to look, Lord willing, at building our faith so that we can have... When I, when I heard about this pastor that, that took a couple of suitcases, his wife and two small children, and fled and living in a refugee camp, and heard that he said, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us, I thought... Man, do I have a faith that if this week you had to grab your suitcases and flee to the middle of Nebraska to a refugee camp, would you be able to say, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? That's a faith that overcomes the world. That's a faith that's not caught up living for this world. That's a faith that sees the big picture. That's a faith that walks in victory. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help us today 
to walk by faith. Lord, I pray that, that we would, first of all, examine our lives to see if there is evidence in our life of genuine faith. That we have spiritual life. That we know the, the conviction of Your Spirit in our life. That we have a, a spirit of obedience. That there are the fruit of works in our life. And Lord, that we are walking in victory over sin in our own life. I pray if there's one here today who has never called upon You for the forgiveness of sin to receive the spiritual life, Lord, I pray today that they would call upon You. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers, I pray that we would truly walk in obedience to Your Spirit and know the power of being overcomers, to know what it is to walk in victory and and not to be enslaved to our passions and enslaved to our lusts, but to walk in victory and literally overcome the world. Lord, may our faith be established and strengthened because it is in You. And may we stand in the promises that You give, knowing that You are more than able to do all that You promise. We praise you in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.